This podcast is proudly sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters, a Catholic fraternal benefit society dedicated to helping members achieve financial security through life insurance while supporting the Catholic community through fraternal outreach. So, as a still uh, new Catholic, I have uh, I found myself in different circles. Yeah, the, the Catholic Church being the largest denomination on earth, there are lots of circles. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful uh, kaleidoscope of circles. However, <laughs> um, some circles are circlier than others. <laughs> That's, that's the word of the day. Circlier. Yes. Um, now, I have decided that it is unhelpful both to call names, even if a group goes by a particular name. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to like sort of circumvent um, whatever certain identifiers of these groups. But there are some groups uh, among the Catholic Church today that have uh, tremendous... Um, issues with our current Pope. There are others that think he's uh, happily, joyfully think he's going to reshape the whole church in a brand new sort of liberal image. Okay, so these are two sides of the extreme. And then even they have extremists to their left and and, and to their right. But for the sake of the conversation, I happen to have some very uh, uh, close friends that I love who, uh, for for you know probably very good reasons, um, struggle with our current papacy. And they they would go in a certain group, and then to their right, you have a group that, that believes we haven't even really had a valid papacy for 70, some odd, in 1956. Was it Pius XII, like the last... Yeah, yeah it, can, it depends kinda, on who you talk to. Depends, yeah. <laughs> um, and I found that the 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 less right leaning group can tend to end up that far right eventually in time. It's a bit of a of a gateway drug. So here I am, sort of at the time new to all of this. I, I came across this pretty early on, uh, these conversations, and I decided, well, first of all, my assessment was this smells a lot like Protestantism and, mm. and Reformation. Oh, interesting. And we got to be really careful here. And we, you know, we've, we've talked in this podcast about authority. Mm-hmm. And it is extremely difficult for most, uh, you know, mainline Protestant sects to bring themselves under an authority, even if it's their local pastor, even mm. though they would recognize it from Scripture some kind of, of hierarchy of some type. Um, not necessarily over and above or more important, but they would recognize some kind of hierarchy, but but this is where the Reformation just sort of, you know, shattered Christendom by the removal of of a, you know, human visible shepherd and magisterium guide in the church to sort of the personal interpretation of Scripture, and we're all kind of becoming our own pope. So when I look at when I look at some of these opinions around uh, Pope Francis, I see the sort of the spirit of the Reformation there. Uh, also. At the same time, recognize that through the history of the church, when we've had bad popes, it we rely on the laity to be able to call that out, do the right thing, and you know, and rightfully oppose things where they ought to. So I've never wanted to poo poo anybody um, unless I felt they were sinning or scandalizing me in some way from you know sharing openly about their problems. Now I just happen to be the opinion that doing it on Twitter is pretty stupid <laughs> and uh, and unhelpful. 
But so I'm curious from your perspective, my, I have a bunch of questions around this. The first one involves a valid priesthood. Okay, so if we're, if we're as far to the right as you can be, and you do not believe that there's been a valid pope for 70 years, the next logical question for me is, well, okay, so is there a valid priest? I mean, can there be a valid priesthood? If there's been no pope, and all the bishops under that pope are dead, you know, we have some sort of apostolic authority, and, and so are they, are they pleading to that, that as long as you're at least in the vein of like a, a, a Archbishop Lefebvre, for instance, can you still go and receive a Eucharist? Does that make sense? Mm, That's yeah, where yeah. I'm, that was a big question when I was confused. Right, yeah. So the, the, a valid bishop wouldn't be dependent on a valid pope, because the pope is uh, not an additional ordination. So the pope is also a bishop. He's, he has certain authority, but um, any bishop can validly ordain. Right, he might not be illicitly ordained, and some bishops have gotten themselves in trouble uh, for that. But it would still be it would still be valid. So so long as you have a a bishop who is validly ordained according to whatever idea you have of valid ordinations, um, then then he could validly ordain priests, and you'd have a valid uh, priesthood. Uh, but that I mean that I think that's that that you know begs the question of like well. Who who decides what what a valid ordination right. is? Right, and there there's been changes in uh, the ordination right after the Vatican Council, and and I think even well, I mean I think there's some some extreme view that uh, those ordinations are are not valid, um, but I think most even even people who you know, like the the old extraordinary form mass and things like that, they'll still come to me for confession and things. So they don't think I'm, I'm invalidly ordained. Interesting. I don't, I don't think. Um. So, uh, yeah. So I mean, but but that gets yeah. It's like, well, who says that this is a valid ordination? Um. Well. The church, okay. Who who says you know based on whose interpretation of the church? Right. Well, the church's interpretation of the church, you know. And again, we we talked about who's the church and the deposit of faith and all these Correct. things, and um and 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 that that's where like you know we, we kind of got to defer to like, well, shoot, I'm I'm not as holy or as smart as so many of the men and women who have gone before me, and I just have to leave it to them now, and um. I read something recently that I thought was really helpful. It was by um, Cardinal Journet, and he was a, a Thomist theologian around the time of the Vatican Council. And um, so really smart, really holy, and um, yeah, su- I mean, su- super educated. So like he, he understands, you know, like he writes on stuff like transubstantiation and, you know, like all these, all these fine, you know, intellectual, tough stuff, you know. And he says in, in the same breath that the new mass is completely valid. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. While at the same time saying, I loved the old mass. It was, it was so beautiful and I loved it so much and I'm going to miss saying it. But this is what the Pope has asked us to do and out of obedience, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. 
you know, and I'm glad that I'll have something to offer to God. But there's there's a good example of holiness, obviously this this deferential obedience, but also intelligence of saying like, yeah, I've examined it. I've I've looked at the I've looked at the rights and the rubrics, and I know I I know this stuff really well. And yeah, there's nothing. There's no problem here. Even if even if I prefer, I would prefer something else. And you know, if if it was a voting church, I would have voted against this. But Obedience says, right? So, so there's, a, there's a good example. I mean, Pope Benedict is a great example, too, of like, okay, this dude's like off the charts, insane smart. And, um, and he's like, no, these are valid, valid sacraments, valid ordinations, valid yeah. mass, valid everything. And, um, and I, think, I think there's part of him, too, that like, you know, really likes the old mass and probably even prefers the old mass. And, and he didn't. He didn't use his papal authority to uh, to reinstate it. I mean, he did. He did open up the the door for its wider celebration. Yeah. But he didn't. He didn't say like, "Hey, we're just going to go back to that." Yeah. You know. So I mean, yeah, it's just so it's so complicated. And uh, I mean, even so, even as a growing up Catholic, I mean, so like you walk into this and then you know get into the the middle of these um, uh, shenanigans sometimes. Well, growing up, I mean. I'd never heard of the extraordinary form, the Latin Mass. I mean, it wasn't called the extraordinary form until um, Pope Benedict's motu proprio back in, uh, I don't know, 2008 it's or something a great, like that. It's a great name for the Mass. It's a pretty explicit name <laughs> Yeah, for All right, the Mass. Yeah. Extraordinary. Oh, this is extraordinary. There's ordinary <laughs> and there's extraordinary. <laughs> this is extraordinary. Um but uh, but before that, I mean, like you know, maybe in my twenties, I'd heard of the Tridentine Mass, and I went one time, and I was like, oh, okay, you know, it's interesting. That's that's extraordinary. <laughs> um, but uh, but for the most part, uh, it's just, I mean, like I, I don't think most most Catholics knew anything uh, about it. Um, certainly, certainly seems like there's there's been some. I, I, you know, I, I can never tell. Like, is it because I'm I'm older and more aware of these sorts of things, or is it just because it's like, just way more uh, prominent? Or everything everything's polarized these days. Like politics much, are more polarized. Um, health is more polarized. I mean, everything's polarized. So throw the church into the mix there as well. It it it's. I had a conversation with a guy about popes and what would disqualify them, right? So my impression is that while we've had some very scurrilous popes over the years, none has none has uttered something heretical, or at least from the from ex cathedra, right, as from, I understand it. From the chair. They maybe had wrong views. Um but I, I was talking to this this gentleman about Peter. He said, far as I know no pope has denied Christ and then cursed him in the same breath. And Jimmy Aiken has made the similar point. And this guy was like, yeah, well, he wasn't the pope yet. I said, well, we had the whole rock conversation before that. <laughs> he said, no, but the church wasn't founded. I said, well, okay, can you tell me when officially the moment was when Jesus said, and now this is the church and now he is the pope? And of course, he he couldn't do that. So that... That has been at least my approach to these conversations is we, we tend to hold our, our popes today to a standard that not even Peter lived up to. Um, and he was seemingly the most unqualified of the disciples. You know, I mean, if I'm looking at it from a human perspective, maybe probably John 
you know, should have been the guy. Right, or just wait right. until Paul has this conversion, then, you know, Paul yeah. can be the guy. Yeah. It wasn't. He'd have been a great Paul. Right? <laughs> um, so that had been, you know, my approach to that conversation. Well, and, and I, said, I said, brother, look, the only thing you can say is you're not really sure if he was a pope yet. You're kind of you're missing the whole point of this conversation, which is he denied Christ and then cur- called a curse down upon Christ. That, that in, in like within earshot of Christ, not like quietly, like they locked eyes the moment he did it, right. you know, and there he's the Pope. I don't understand what the problem is, but Vatican II is what just for me as a Catholic has been like super overwhelming. Hmm. Like I can't even like all oh, the stuff I've read, I've just decided like I'm not ready for that yet because... <laughs> And I have this, I have, um, I have all of the, in a beautiful book from Word on Fire. Now, of course, some of these folks in these groups consider Bishop Barron to be a, a modernist. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So whatever. I've been really blessed by a lot of his writings. And I have a hard time believing that a modernist would so consistently quote pre-Vatican II saints, right. like just off the top of his head. I mean, he's a venerable quote machine. Well, here's, here's the interesting thing, right? Like... What what's one of the things we call our current culture, like the media and everything? It's a it's a cancel culture. Yes, right. It's <laughs> a cancel culture, and you know, uh, around the, around the time George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, everything like silence is violence. Right. right. If you don't have a sign out in front of your house that says Black Lives Matter, then you're de facto a racist. Right. You know, and and probably you know, like th- there's a lot of um, you know Christians and stuff who's like, no, that that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't add up, and you can't you're you're being you're you're turning this around on me, and that's not I'm not a racist just because I don't I don't have a sign and blah 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 and right. so, all all this stuff, right? Well, I, I think probably a lot of those people in the camp that you're describing would probably say that, right? Like, no, that's that's a that's a false. That's a false jump. You right. can't say that because I don't have an all are welcome sign that I I hate gay people or something like that. You know, doesn't doesn't add up. But what what do they do? There, <laughs> there's a whole cancel culture. Like, oh, uh, Bishop Barron didn't evangelize Ben Shapiro thoroughly enough, so uh, he's canceled. Yeah, boom. You know, so he's he's actually he's a, he's a modernist. Yeah. and um, wrote a forward wrote something nice about uh, Father James Martin book. Right, yeah, he had, he had James Martin be a uh, he had him he had him um, be one of the uh, you know what other authors are saying about this book like yeah because what he was trying to do is call a book called Paradoxes and so he has like James Martin and then I think he has like Cardinal Burke or something as the other one <laughs> you know he's like he's trying to like yeah hey you know um, he's kind of he's kind of but yeah but it's like it's like oh and um, oh this this bishop he. He hasn't said anything against abortion, so silence is violence. He agrees with abortion. Interesting. Like, well, it may be that he's in a diocese that's you know like really polarized right now, and he's trying to do a lot of other things. And even though he agrees, you know, he's against abortion. He's like, I can't mention that because I'm going to lose half of my people because it's such a big. But by not mentioning it, he just lost all the other people yeah, who did agree with him. It's a catch twenty-two. It's, it's totally, but <laughs> it sucks being a bishop. It's the can, yeah. it's the cancel. It's yeah. the cancel culture. That's you know? very interesting. And, and like, what what are you gonna get? What are you gonna cancel for? You 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 know, like somebody's somebody's gonna cancel you. Yeah, you and know? it's boring. because if you, if silence, you know, like, and it's it's so backwards because I mean, Thomas More, um, 
he was he was arrested because he wouldn't he wouldn't sign the decree that said, "Hey, yeah, uh, uh, Henry VIII, feel free to you know divorce your wife and become the head of the Church of England." He just wouldn't sign it. Right. And he said when he when he finally testified for himself, he said, "You know, in the court of law, silence is consent." So what you should have done is interpreted my silence as agreeing with uh, the, the king, but you didn't do that, you know. And you know you've unfairly huh. judged me and tried me. And then he said, he finally goes, but I mean in this case you're right. I don't agree with it. <laughs> yeah. But now that I'm doomed, <laughs> now to that death, now I'll that you've you already condemned me, let me let, let me just lay he it. He wouldn't on even the... tell his wife and kids what he thought, right? You know, he's like, I'm not I'm not going to say it. I'm you know, you, because because when the, the Fifth Amendment is like, no, I have the right to remain silent. Yeah, I don't. I don't have to. I don't have to. It's very interesting in the culture. What what really is born this cancel culture is we, we're finding a time where everyone can say something publicly. Yeah, even if it's just a small little echo chamber of fifty people on Twitter, you can. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone can put it out there, and right. we almost all feel obligated in that way um, to do that to offer. Uh, offer an opinion, you know, 100 years ago, even, geez, 40 years ago, maybe you could write something in the paper. I was talking about this with some friends. You know, you just had the news. When I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, you had like three news channels. Right. And I would hear my dad. NBC, NBC, CBS. Yeah, CBS. And my dad would be downstairs just yelling at uh, some newscaster for lying. You know, I love that about my dad. (laughs) Then he would turn the TV off. But you had no recourse, you know? They could just lie. And there was really no recourse. You could call in or harass on the phone, but now there's recourse, right. right? Through Twitter and other means. There's other outlets. You see Joe Rogan. Everyone's on Joe Rogan right now to be to be canceled for stuff that he said. And it's just this battle of like ideas. And now they're all out in the open. And Rogan has like three, four, I think ten times the audience of CNN. Wow. And of course, it's CNN that's actively trying to silence this guy. Now I'm not gonna. I don't even really comment on that, other than to say, we're in a time where everyone has this voice, right. and it can be hard to find the discernment um, to voice that. So I think that's probably my next question. You know, I'm, I look at Vatican II, I see some of these great minds that came out of it, right? Ratzinger and Timmy Andre Lubach and Balthasar and these guys, but they're seen by some on these extreme sides as, as um, modernists or sort of undercover modernists. Now, my guess is... Most of those folks have read more blogs and they have actual books. And I'm fine if you disagree with some of the things that you know these, these um, men have written. But Vatican II is so convoluted. And that's all from the devil. I mean, it really is. Yeah. Anytime you see chaos and confusion and whispers and hushed tones, it's really all from the devil. I'm trying to slowly like get in and read what was a valid, to me, a valid counsel yeah. that the Holy Spirit was a part of. And was met immediately by the sexual revolution, which I don't mm-hmm. think was any coincidence. Mm-hmm. And what that did to the church, I mean, that's a whole other conversation for another day. What I'm interested in is, like, as laity, we have got to have a better, more effective way of addressing these things. Because when the laity feels like their voice isn't heard, certainly they can get upset. But you have a louder voice now if you're a Catholic than you've ever had in all of history. I mean, you know, if you were in the Americas and the Catholic Church in the 1800s and yeah yeah I mean I mean that's true but but I think we we got to look at like how did I mean there there were so many there's so many great saints 
and and they actually they actually show us what to do. You know how lay lay saints they they show us how to uh, how to speak into. Um, a broken culture. They they show us how to speak even even within the church, um, and and some of what I see uh, on on both sides is just that's it's not it's not it's not holy, right? You know, it's not, it's it's you know like we were talking about we we're talking about just recently like if you have a problem with your brother, go to your brother. If you won't listen, bring another friend along. If you still won't listen, bring bring the church, you know, or bring him to the church and. I mean, it's almost it's almost like it's almost like this, um, you know. Even even with like, let's say you have a problem with your uh, your priest. A lot of people are like, yeah, I'm gonna write a, I'm gonna write a letter to the archbishop. <laughs> what? <laughs> not, not, that's that's not even like human decency, much less what <laughs> Jesus talks about. Yeah. You know, what about like, hey, Father, can we sit down and talk? Um, usually, what I get is like angry emails, and then I say, hey, you want to sit down and talk? And they say no, and then they write a letter to the archbishop. And you're like, what? <laughs> you know, just it's, it's had like, this conversation with someone on the drive here. Yeah, it's like it's like where's like right there. It's like that's not how Saint Francis of Assisi talked to the Pope when he was when he was trying to get his religious order started. Right. You know, that's not how that's not how Saint Catherine of Siena went about getting the Pope to come back to Rome. That's not that's not how the that's not how Padre Pio uh, dealt with his superiors when they were unjustly persecuting him. Right. That's not how um, Solanus Casey, you know, spoke to his 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 uh, his superior when he wouldn't give him faculties to hear confessions. You know, um, and and what do you what you hear now is like resist or let's we'll we'll have a petition or we'll. You know, yep. um, we'll have a demonstration outside of our church, and you know, we'll, we'll pick at our own church. You're like, what? Oof! It, 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 this isn't this isn't holiness, right? You know, that's that's not how you that's not how you do it. Yeah, and I have to think, in an age where you know, depending on how you take the surveys on the Eucharist, because I know if you if you reword the question on the Eucharist, you might get different answers. But let's just say thirty percent, approximately, of Catholics in America believe that Christ is truly present. We have to believe that that and just lack of Catholics really attending, taking part in confession has to really mark our souls. Mm. It, it, to me, it leaves a big room, a big void, which is always filled with spite and bitterness and frustration. And I, I just decided, because, man, I've been there. I have been there. I realized very quickly after my first confession, I was like, boy, like I feel a lot less angry. Hmm. Um, and it occurred to me that I have a lot of reasons in my life to be angry right now and a lot of people that I feel like I could be justly angry at, but it just makes me miserable. Hmm. All right. <laughs> and, and with confession in particular... And, and, and the Eucharist, but confession in particular has focused my thoughts on myself and my issues and my own personal holiness and what I need to change and where I'm wrong. And it keeps me there, right. especially when you're going regularly because you've got to have a, a pretty consistent examine of conscience. I think even just a daily examine of conscience can help, but certainly going to confession on a regular basis. And I, I told a friend recently, I said, man, I... 
whatever's going on at the Vatican, I know there's some scurrilous men there. I know there's some bad guys. I'm not going to... Right, because we know that because... It there's, was there's bad guys everywhere. It was foretold. Yeah, it was, it foretold. was guaranteed. And I'm I'm not so great myself. Yeah. So I've just decided it's not that I can't do anything about that, but the best thing that I can do for Christ and for his church is to love Jesus yeah. and to be holy. And that's really all I have to worry about. And it's, it's, it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. And somebody said this to me the other day. I was, you know, frustrated by something, and, and he just kind of reminded me, priest brother, he goes, just, just worry about your sphere of influence, brother. Yeah. Like, that's true. You know, yeah. I, I don't have any control over what the Pope does. No. Zero. Zero. Um, you know, what do I have control over? I've, I even have little control over, you know, like my own parishioners. Yeah. You know, what do I have control over? Me. <laughs> it's like, you know, I can influence myself and then maybe influence a few people around me. Yeah. Um, you know, I can have a, I can have a, a, a good, uh, a good office team and parish office and, you know, like keep, keep working out from there. I'm, but I don't have any influence over the Pope. Yeah. Except, except that, like in a, in a real way, in the mystical body of Christ, like my holiness, if I get holy, will actually affect the Pope in some yeah, way. It, it's got to, and in all the promises that we get in in the sacraments and and all these prayers and devotions, there's so much good things to occupy our time um, in our mind. And I just decided, like, there's so many dumpster fires at different corners of my life. Yeah, if I really let them dominate, I would just be miserable. Yeah. And so in those spaces where I would rather, you know, fume, I try and process them through the rosary. Or I try to go to confession and process where I may have been at fault in my thoughts and process them there that way. And what I found is, oh, suddenly things that I think would be intolerable um, are, they're not so bad. I mean, they're yeah. bad. I wish they could... They could be gone from my life, but um, they've driven me to the right place. And as they're supposed to do, we just have to respond right. I don't always respond right. I really try to, but I certainly don't always. But as I'm looking at some of these headier things, the papacy and conspiracies and all this stuff, I just thought, Lord, to the pure, all things are pure, right? So that's just your word. This is what your scriptures tell us. To the pure, all things are pure. So I'm just going to try and remain pure. And then I'm not... I'm not so tempted to look sideways at like mm, mm-hmm. everything and everybody. Because man, look, I celebrated the beautiful, extraordinary form with you in a little chapel at your rectory, and I was like, I would do it every day. I would love to do that every day. What a great way to pray! Mm, mm-hmm. uh, every day I could do that. Um, I, I visited a parish a couple of weeks ago. Extraordinary form. It was very quiet. And my boys with me, they were very quiet. It was very quiet and peaceful, very ordered. It was a little shorter even hmm. uh, uh, than the N.O. And uh, I, I would do that all the time. But there's just, there's, there's just bigger fish to fry. I've also been to some parishes I would never attend ever again. Uh, and some that I've been to, like, you know what? They're just trying. And I love this priest, and I'm just going to – Jesus is here – and that's the most important thing, and I can look past some of this crappy music and architecture and all of that. All right. Because there's so much to complain about. 
really, if you're Catholic, what, what you find it very quickly is it's so big and it's so universal and it's so deep, and you just you've expanded exponentially the things you can complain about. Yeah, I, and I wonder, <laughs> I wonder too, because like in 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 your tradition, you know, it's like, well, I mean, I'm going to complain about the past for a little bit, but then I'm either just going to go find a different denomination to belong to, or if I'm on the board of elders, we just fire the pastor yeah. and get it get a pastor that we like. Yep. Whereas in Catholicism, there's a little bit more like. I'm just kind of stuck. You're just stuck. You know, like, <laughs> Wonderfully stuck. There's one Catholic church in town, and you know, it's like I can't, I can't go. You know, so like I just had, you know, so like there's something to that. That's like, okay, well, that's that's true. You can't, you can't leave the church because yeah. of, you know your pastor or the music or whatever else. But you know, the to complain about it, it's like, well, let's let's see. You know, there's there's a little bit of virtue there, but there's even more virtue of say, you know what, I'm gonna stay. I'm not gonna complain. I'm gonna I'm gonna allow the Lord to just you know purify me during this time. Crane Purif- my neck. I'm gonna allow Him to crane my neck <laughs> to stare at what's most important, <laughs> and 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 push all the rest. There is beautiful graces uh, even yeah. in the even in the mess, and I'm I'm thankful for that. Yeah. But I you yeah. know as we navigate all these things, it's uh, to me it's just important. We're, we're trying to seek truth. That's what I love about this podcast is we're just trying to seek what's true and what's beautiful. Yeah. And I'm just going to focus uh, uh, on that because I found that when I get into those conversations or even some of those groups, there does there's a genuine desire, as far as I can tell, to love Jesus and to, to, to be right and to be Catholic. Um, but I found more often than not, there's just a lot of uh, frustration and stress right. among among those groups, more so than others. That I just don't need in my life right now. Right. <laughs> I don't need more of that. I need more Jesus. So wherever I can find more of that, more is Jesus, like, more peace. That's where I'm gonna go. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, this is a great chat. It's very helpful for me. Thank you, Father. We'll see you guys next time. God bless. At Catholic Order of Foresters, we're committed to bringing Catholic values to life and financially protecting Catholic families right here in Minnesota. Our members enjoy benefits like scholarship eligibility and peace of mind knowing their family is secure, even if something happens to them. Each year, thousands join us to support people in need through our Feeding God's Children events, spirituality tap-ins, and mission trips. Wouldn't you love to be a part of an organization that embodies your Catholic values? Find out how you can be a part of Catholic Order of Foresters by calling General Agent Brian Markiton at 763-658-4009. That's Brian at 763-658-4009.